Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with The Hearing Consultancy. TheHearingConsultancy.ie Hello and welcome to this week's programme. David Hollywood here with you until 8 o'clock this evening. A little later, you'll meet the lead physiotherapist at the newly opened Rapid Access Pain Clinic. What's pain all about? When is the pain you feel too much pain? When should you seek a medical perspective? And when should you get a physiotherapy? Stay tuned to find out. The latest from the carers crisis in Ireland. This week, we're looking at it through the lens of those who care for those who have dementia. Alzheimer's Ireland will be on soon to talk us through what's missing from the big picture and how that can affect individual carers and those who have dementia. First, though, have you ever tried to clamber into a kayak? If you have, you'll know that it's uh, not the most accessible modes of transport. Uh, What if you are six foot six? And what if you were to paddle the entire length of the River Shannon? Well, I guess it would have to be for a good cause. And that's exactly what got Blizzard's frontman Brezzy into that exact situation. He and another Mullingar man, Ray Carolyn, are taking on the mammoth task. And Brezzy's been telling Chloe Farrell what it entails. Yeah, it's... Three, about over 300 kilometres down the River Shannon from Dowra to Limerick City. So essentially the full length, except we're not doing the estuary. For <laughs> Thank, Thankfully, with the weather that we're getting, I'm, I'm kind of glad we're not going out into that. It'd be madness. But the whole idea came from me looking at ways to fundraise for my charity, Lost for Life, which is focused around kind of youth mental health and early intervention and early support for children in terms of their mental health. And... It's hard to fundraise our programs that we developed for schools that are now in over a thousand primary schools and well underway to be in every school in Ireland by 2024. These programs are free and there's no charge to the schools and we want to keep it that way. So we have to do these types of fundraisers to raise awareness and also to raise funds to be able to deliver them. So this was just a mad idea my mate Ray had from Lakeland Kayaks. He rang me one day and he says, can you kayak? I went, nope, never kayaked before. I don't fit in them. I don't like them. I have no interest in them. And he says, cool, would you want to do the Shannon? I was like, okay. So that was literally how it started. And then we started training about 18 weeks ago for So a very enthusiastic start to the fundraising anyway. Back to not fitting in the kayaks. How have, have you worked around that one? Actually, it's just like, I'm not, I'm six foot six. So like I'm, it's quite uncomfortable for me to sit in a kayak. I sit in because they're sitting kayaks. We're not sitting on top of them. It's an uncomfortable experience to sit at a 90, 90 degree angle when you're that tall, you know. So a lot of it for me was getting kind of comfortable with my posture, with sitting in those positions for eight to ten hours a day, which is what we're going to be doing. And what it looks like now is what we didn't want is the weather's turned pretty bad. And when you look at the River Shannon. The idea of the river sounds nice, but actually the big challenges for us are going to be the lakes. So Loch Ree, Loch Derg, two of the biggest lakes in the country. And Loch Derg is that big that when you're in the middle of it, you can't see the side, like you can't see the coast. It's it's massive and it's completely open to weather and elements and it can shift and change in in seconds. So we've just got news that Loch Ree is expecting up to 60 kilometre gusts on Sunday, which is when we're going to be on it. So all this stuff you have to think of for non-experienced kayakers, you have to think about how are we going to get across this safely, which way are we going to go, you know, all these different things. So it's become a challenge. It was a challenge and now it's becoming a huge challenge because of the weather. What training did you carry out? So obviously you would have had to get familiar with sitting in 
that 90 degree position. But then was there also training for different weather conditions to be able to keep your balance in the kayak? Yeah, a lot of the work for kayaking distance, so endurance kayaking, is in the gym. You have to do a lot of work in the gym. You have to do a lot of weights, a lot of um, what we call functional training to make sure the body's capable and doesn't give up on you and, or go into spasm. So a lot of that training was uh, in the gym, uh, conditioning, and then a lot of fitness training. You know, the reality of, once again, if you're stuck in the middle of Loch Ree and, and you're hit by a, a change of wind or change of weather and you have an hour, an hour and a half of full throttle kind of into the wind, into the waves, you have to be fit. You can't you can't stop. You'll just go into the water if you do. So, yeah, all that stuff is kind of being focused on. We focused on kind of capsize training, what happens if we capsize, how, what do we do in that position? You know, there's six of us, so we all have our specific roles if somebody goes into the water. Uh, we also have boat support, which is very helpful. But yeah, it, this, as I said, it, it's turned into something quite challenging. And part of me is nervous about it, if I'm honest. I, I'm quite anxious about it. But there is still that gut excitement that I have of doing something like this and really just testing and challenging myself, not just myself, but the team. The other, the other guys as well. Just even there about the anxiety of the event, do you think that there is a benefit to kayaking for your mental health? I suppose on a time when the water is a bit more calm and you can just re- relax, or do you think that they all kind of link in together? You know, kayaking for me is probably one of the most kind of cathartic things I've done for my mind in terms of training or fitness. You know, you're right. If you get nice, calm days and you get to explore the lakes of the Midlands and Westmead, which are absolutely untouched, unbelievable places you can't get to by car or foot. And Ireland, so much of Ireland is undiscovered for so many people. And I think that is what kayaking brings you to. Like I've discovered parts of the lakes that I grew up around I never knew existed little kind of nooks and crannies that you just wouldn't believe and yeah it is you know especially going out with a few people but the one thing i will say to anybody who's interested in the idea of kayaking is the first port of call for kayaking is the huge level of respect you have to give to the water the water is the box like you have no room for ego or this overindulgent bravery that people think is a good thing and not in water it's not so i think that's the first thing you learn with kayaking is that if the water says no, the water says no, and you gotta you gotta respect it. So, anyone looking to get into kayaking, I would advise you go to a good kayak provider who understands all this. And you know, Lakeland Kayaks were the guys that my mate Ray has kind of brought me through all of this. So, you need you need to get a kayak that actually works for you. And some people don't want to sit in kayaks either because they're they feel a bit restrictive for people. So you get to sit on top ones, but the problem with those is. You're not going down the River Shannon in one of them. You'll be absolutely, you'll be dead by the time you get down. And with that, all the training you do, trying for more kind of strenuous water, obviously it's completely unpredictable. Can you ever fully train for the conditions that you could receive? No, you can't. I don't think we can. I mean, I'm sure there's people who've much more experience than we have at kayaking that have done it and have done white water stuff. And, you know, the thing about the lake is, is people don't realize the power of it. Like, okay, you've got the sea with the big waves and the currents and stuff, but 
the wind really reacts, the, the lake really reacts to wind. It, like the wind just takes the surface and chops it up. So what you can do is really be aware of which way the wind is coming. You know, if it's coming, for example, what we're seeing in the weather forecast is that it's coming from the west to northwest. So it's probably potentially just behind us. And actually, that sounds good, but you don't want the wind behind you in a kayak. You want it, It's actually safer to go into the wind. So you, you can start to read the weather. You can read the wind. You can read where it's coming from. And then you can read the kind of, if there's an island, there might be a bit of shelter, that type of stuff. Uh, but at the end of the day, if it's really, really bad, we just can't go out. We just can't. And I wouldn't put the other people in that risk. So the other thing you can do is you can go in very tight to the shore. So even if you do come out, you're able to just get out uh, and stuff like that. So that can be done. But then that that's restrictive as well because you're probably adding, on Lockery, you're probably adding up to 20, 30 kilometers to your to your your kind of uh, event if you do that. And that 20 and 30 kilometers could take three, four hours. So all of that stuff is, is a challenge. We have vents along the way. We have a kind of a diary we have to stick to. So all of this kind of means things like maybe kayaking at night if it's a bit calmer or, you know, going in the windows of cam if there is any windows of cam. But for Saturday and Sunday, what we're seeing is there's definitely none. It's it's full throttle for two days. Um, and the only good thing about that is hopefully if it calms down Monday and Tuesday, we're going to feel like we're in paradise because we've just gone through such rough weather. So psychologically, that can be very helpful as well. Can you tell me a bit about the people who are also involved in this? Yeah, uh, there are six of us, five Westmead, two from Lumbrus now, one from Balnacarragi, uh, one from Castellangegan, Mullingar, and then we have a, a blow-in from Westport, Shane. And I kind of asked the guys, I said, this, this is going to be a big sacrifice. You're, you need a very strong why uh, for doing this you might think it's a nice thing to do or a good idea or a great thing to do, but that's not going to get you out of bed on day three and not agree into a gale force wind. You need a strong focus and motivation and why, and anything in life, people need that. And all of these guys have, you know, they all have their own stories and reasons for doing it. You know, Paul, who who's really kind of blown me away with his attitude to the whole thing. His mum, he lost his mum to suicide. You know, his dad died very soon after that and you know this this is a very raw thing and difficult thing for him to do but this is there's a reason for this because he's trying to help young people he's trying to reach out to young people and say you don't have to carry all this stuff all the time Shane who's a armed response unit guard from the west coast up in Westport Shane has seen the other end of the spectrum at mental health where people aren't helped and they're failed by systems and they end up unfortunately really unwell and, and as an armed response unit he ends up dealing with a lot of that so he sees the, the extreme side of it and we then you know Ray has had a, my good mate Ray who I grew up with he has a really personal strong story so is Joe and it's all very personal and that's the why and the why is one of the most powerful motivators that you can have my why is is too you know it's fundamentally I've I was very much failed, I feel, in my education in terms of what I was going through and how it was not just ignored, but it was in many ways um, deeply stigmatized. And I always tell the story about Kirk Cobain dying and me asking the teacher what happened and he screamed in my face and called Kirk Cobain a coward. 
that was my education. And, and I don't want young people to be educated like that. And I don't think they need to be. And my biggest motivator is, yes, youth mental health in Ireland is in a serious kind of situation. We know that. We know the systems haven't been working. But the reason I do this work is because I know there's a better way. There definitely is a better way. And it's not within, out of our reach. Like, we can do it. And that's my belief of early intervention and early prevention uh, models of care for young people. Yet our governments don't seem to be catching on to that. And, you know, they keep pushing the same model of care that has never worked. Like, the, the model of care that we use for mental health has never worked. And we need to change it. And that's part of my work and my PhD and my research. And just to bring that back again, then, can you tell me a bit about your charity, A Lust for Life? Yeah, I set Lust for Life up about seven years ago. I actually only set it up as a website for people to have a safe place to tell their stories. You know, and this is at a time where people really still weren't talking a lot about mental health. And then that very quickly grew into becoming a charity because it just be, it got too big. It got too. I wasn't able to deal with it. So I was funding it myself. I was, I I was thinking in it to be honest with you. And I had to bring in people to help and set up the organisation, which is what Paula did and Colin, my co-founders. They came in and they they put shape around the charity. And then we had to decide what it is we're trying to fix here. What are we trying to bring to the table? And for me, once again, it was early intervention, early prevention, models of care, mental health care for children. And that was my my passion and the charity's passion. So we set out to set up the schools programs. Uh, we got the best psychologists, educational experts, the best uh, researchers we could find on the island. We found a way to fund it. We funded it through serious um, code threat and tears, if I'm honest with you. Like at the start, it was a lot of our own funding. Then some really good people came in to help us. And now we're, we've reached over 60,000 students in Ireland and we're well on our way to reaching every school in Ireland by 2024. And the thing that's important to note know, know here is these programs, as I said, are completely free. There's no obstacles for the schools here. Uh, they're safe because they're researched and they're evidence-based. So what we don't need in Ireland anymore is problem admiration societies throwing stones at the problem. You need to start stepping up now and, and seeing what it is we can provide and what we can do. And that's hopefully what we're trying to do with A Lust for Life. And then we're moving those, that focus to post-primary. Uh, we're working secondary schools. And my, I suppose my passion would be to create a, an educational solution from junior inference all the way up to Leaving Cert, where you have a program that's consistent and grows with the, the individual from a child to teenager to adult and then you're on to something. Oh, that sounds brilliant. That's a really good system there. I suppose my last question then, Niall, is if anyone wants to get involved or help out for anything over the weekend with your kayaking challenge, is there anything people can do? You know what, just come down and, if I'm honest, it's it's quite a lonely thing being out in the river for five, six hours uh, in the middle of nowhere it's lovely when you're coming into the towns or the villages and people are there and they're just, they mightn't think it's a huge lift, but it actually is just to see people and see faces and hear noises. So if you're around any of Shannon, whether you're in Athlone or Lanesborough or wherever you are in the world in Ireland, just come out. If you, you know, there's, we'll be putting up across our socials 
our social media, where we're going to be, when we're coming in, the times we're coming in at. And that's all we need, you know. We just need, we need a list. And that's, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, the six of us have talked about this. This is going to be hard and challenging and, and there's going to be ups and downs for all of us. So it's it's amazing how that bit of support can just lift the spirits when you need it the most. Yeah, if you can get out and support the lads, as you heard there, that support will mean the world to them. When we come back, we're talking dementia carers in this country and across the Midlands. Health and Fitness with David Hollywoods with the Hearing Consultancy. Carrying out free hearing tests in Clara, Tillamore, Kinnegad and in our latest clinic at Mullingar Dental Clinic, Martins Lane, Mullingar. Thehearingconsultancy.ie You're very welcome back to Health and Fitness this evening. Next, we are looking at a story that we've been giving some coverage on the programme over the course of the last number of weeks. And on this week's show, uh, we are going to be looking at the issue of carers, uh, but particularly uh, around uh, the idea of those caring for those who have uh, dementia. As the occupation becomes more difficult, the consequences of those leaving the industry uh, becomes more felt. Joining me on the programme this evening is Advocacy Manager with Alzheimer's Ireland, Cloda Whelan. Cloda, thank you very much for taking uh, our call today. Thank you. This issue that we're talking about, um, family carers and uh, those caring for people with uh, dementia in particular, they're struggling at the moment. Absolutely. We spoke to nearly 600 family carers over the last two months as we prepared our pre-budget submission to government. And we found that family carers are absolutely at breaking point. 43% of the family carers we spoke to had been at a healthcare professional for their own health in the previous month. The same amount, actually 43% again, rated their own mental health as poor or fair. And that's very worrying to us. 38% of family carers who we spoke to said they're really struggling with their caring role. And many of them feel hopeless and depressed. And we are calling on the government to put supports in place for people living with dementia, because 27% of people living with dementia that we spoke to report feeling lonely often. Mm. But also those services give family carers a break from their caring role. And that's so important. We want to see the government invest in services for people living with dementia and also for therapeutic and educational supports for family carers. Because we know if you have counselling support, if you have education, so you can you know, be better at your caring role and understand the needs of the person you're supporting. Your life will be easier. Your mental health will be better. And that's what we want. You know, I suppose we judge society and how it looks after our less able and our and those people who are really struggling. Mm. And we're calling on the government now to take care of people affected by dementia. It's it's about quality of life, a lot of what you're saying there for those who are carers. And that seems to be a huge issue at the moment. It absolutely is. You know, like caring for a person with dementia can be difficult. It can also be a rewarding journey and people report that they're glad to look after their loved one, that they're glad to take care of them at home and ensure they're not admitted to a nursing home prematurely. But it is a tough journey and we want to see services in place so that those carers have the supports they need but also that the person with dementia has a social life is out in their community we're calling for enhanced investment in our dementia specific day services namely daycare at home which is a service where our teams will go into someone's home support them to take part in hobbies and activities maybe take a walk 
you know, chat about things that they're interested in and ensure that their lives have meaning and purpose and joy. And at the same time, the family carer is then getting a break, which is so important. I suppose the other thing to consider as well is the financial situation of family carers. We know that they're struggling financially. We analyse data from a Family Carers Ireland State of Caring report from 2022 this year, and we found that 50% of family carers were struggling financially. Over 20% of them were actually cutting back on social activities, on seeing friends. They were struggling to pay for household items. Some of them were even in arrears with their mortgages, struggling to pay bills. And when we went back to carers this year, we found that the same amount are struggling financially. So we're calling on the government to increase the carers' allowance. You know, family carers save the state. We estimate dementia carers save the state about 800 million. We're calling on an increase in the carers' allowance. That's so important. And we also want to make the carers' allowance a qualifying payment for the fuel allowance. You know, we all know the fuel costs are rising. It's becoming more and more of the household budget. And we need to see the government take action to support people affected by dementia in this area. Yeah, it's... um we're kind of getting into the time of year as well where these cases really have to be made uh, on the front foot uh, so that um, uh, groups can have their voices heard when it comes to this. And it it reminds me, Clodagh, of only a couple of years ago, I think there was a great championing of people who worked in close proximity with those who needed close support, i.e. dementia carers and family carers Mm. uh, through the pandemic. And it felt like we had actually kind of uh, crossed a threshold that there was a new understanding and the words essential workers had been reprofiled and we we had a new appreciation. Is there a danger that that's fallen back into ultimately it was just lip service at the time? I I think to be fair to this government, we at the Alzheimer's Society would say that we have a good working relationship with them and particularly with the Minister for Older People, Minister Mary Butler. She's very engaged in dementia services and support. She's really pushed through funding streams for us. But the scale of the problem is such. You know, there's so much need out there and we've had decades of chronic underfunding. So, you know, we're not going to fix that in in one budget cycle. That's why we have to keep the pressure on. You know, if any of your listeners are thinking, yeah, I'd like to support the Alzheimer's Society pre-budget submission, I'd urge them to contact their local TDs and senators. And, you know, you know, that thing you mentioned about dementia workers, like we definitely see that one part of our budget submission is asking for pay parity for workers in the Alzheimer's Society. We're funded through a section of the Health Act called Section 39. And it means that people working in our organisation who do the exact same work as public sector workers are way paid way less than those workers. So we're calling for equality, for fairness, for pay parity, people who are providing dementia care, people who are working in admin across the sector of Section 39 organisations, people are very underpaid. And and as you said, you know, they are essential workers. They work so hard to keep everyone safe and well during the pandemic. Many of our teams were seconded to nursing homes. They, mm. they stood up new services like daycare at home. They really looked after those vulnerable people in our communities during COVID. And we absolutely want to see that work valued now. What about people who have dementia? There, you mentioned something that I thought was interesting in the sense that it, it, providing services so that they can 
be a more active member of society can have a huge benefit not just for their carers but obviously for themselves as well and that would take a stepping up in terms of the level of investment that the state has in programmes like that but it's also not something that would break uh, the the government's uh, back in terms of uh, finance but the returns from a um, a, a, hu- a human point of view and perspective are enormous aren't they? Absolutely like we think our ask are very reasonable. And when you're living with dementia, you know, dementia is a disease that can be somewhat misunderstood. It's a, it's a condition that not everybody understands. Sometimes it affects your memory. Sometimes it affects your your speech, your ability to swallow, to walk, sensory issues. It's very varied. But what we know is people living with dementia, we talk to, they want to continue their lives. If they're in a golf club, they want to keep playing golf. If they enjoy reading, they want to continue enjoy reading. So what we want to see is increased funding for daycare at home so we can support them to keep going with those hobbies and interests. You know, sometimes we can take a very narrow understanding of what home care is. And home care is essential. People need home care to, you know, get up in the morning, to have their shower, to get themselves dressed and ready for the day. But the question we're asking then is, what do they do for the day? And that's why daycare at home is so important to help them continue with their hobbies and interests and be part of their local communities in whatever form that takes for each individual. Yeah, community is for everybody by its very definition, not just those who are able-bodied or able-minded in, in a lot of respects. Absolutely. Um, one, the, the point I want to finish on is, is, is acknowledging the reality here as well. This isn't an issue that's uh, getting smaller or is going to go away. Our population is ageing. It seems like advances in medicine are at the moment at least prolonging our lives, but maybe increasing the numbers of people out there who will have dementia in the future. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's a good thing that we're all living longer, but we are calling on the government to plan. You know, and this, in a way, this is about all of us. It's, it's about our future older selves. It's, you know, it's about the kind of society we want to live in. We don't want to see people who have, you know, extra needs, you know, away from their communities. We want to see them out taking part, be it in daycare centres, daycare at home. Another part of the funding we're looking for is weekend activity clubs because we know dementia doesn't end on a Friday. You know, you or I probably look forward to Friday where engaging in our hobbies and interests, perhaps meeting a friend. We think people living with dementia deserve the same. They need access to those social supports. And I think that is a perfect way to end our conversation. Clodagh Whelan, Advocacy Manager with Alzheimer's Ireland. I do thank you very much for talking to us this evening. Thank you. Now, if you've been suffering a twinge, a soreness, or you've noticed that you've had to travel daft distances to get a high-level consultant or treatment, then our next conversation is for you. After the break, we're getting into the black magic of physiotherapy. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood with the Hearing Consultancy. Book a free hearing test at one of our clinics in Clara, Kinnegad, Mullingar or Tullamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus help and more. Coming soon to Edenderry, thehearingconsultancy.ie You're very welcome back to Health and Fitness. 
Now, I'm looking forward to this conversation. It's one of those great mysteries. It is, of course, the inner workings of the human body. And anyone who has maybe taken up running, walking, uh, going to the gym a lot more than they might have done previously. I know we've all gone through these uh, phases where we re-engage with our physicality. And oftentimes uh, that can lead to a degree of breakdown in our physiology. And that's when we call on the experts. Uh, I'm very glad to say that uh, joining me to uh, talk all things physio is the lead physiotherapist uh, with the uh, team there at the Rapid Access Clinic uh, on the Charter Medical uh, Private Hospital campus, um, Liam Heaven. Liam, thanks for taking our call this evening. Um, first of all, I think it's probably important to introduce, aside from yourself, um, uh, what the Rapid Access Clinic is. It's a new arrival on the campus there in Mullingar, isn't it? Absolutely. I suppose traditionally when people were trying to access this type of service, it meant getting in the car and travelling to Dublin to one of the, the centres of excellence in one of the private hospitals usually been put in place here is the, is the pathway towards people having access to um, a Dublin quality service uh, right here in the Midlands. And I suppose bringing that to our locality just means it's an awful lot easier for people in terms of scheduling been able to, uh, not having to take a full day off work, travelling to and from Dublin and all of that. Um, so bringing Dublin-based consultants down to Charter Medical Private Hospital, meaning uh, we've got a Dublin quality service right here in the Midlands. Yeah, that's, I suppose, exactly what decentralisation looks like. And I know we heard about it from a very long time back uh, from the government, but... Um be it one way or the other, at least it's good to see it is uh, happening to some degree. The Rapid Access Clinic then, uh, from a physiotherapist's perspective, who is this for? What are um, the kinds of issues that present in your clinic? Well, I suppose the main main focus here was to put together a multidisciplinary team. So it wasn't just about physio, who who would generally speaking lead the conservative management of of back and neck pain. And that would be the most common thing that we would see Mm. with other areas. We're also involved in treating as well. But we have a team of specialist physiotherapists working together with pain management consultants to deliver this service. And I suppose really when we think about back pain or neck pain, which tend to be the most common things that, that, are, that are seen when we're dealing with pain, one of the challenges tends to be getting to see a consultant or getting to see a specialist who can give you a really accurate diagnosis on what's going on and to put forward a, a care pathway to try and get you from where you are to where you want to be. Some people we we would see would be out of work. Others maybe not able to be involved or participate in sport. Uh, And it can take a little bit of work with the team trying to figure out exactly what the the underlying problem is, um, using MRI scans, for example, to to help us with the diagnostic side. But unfortunately, pain tends to be a little bit more complicated than than the MRI scan itself. Because uh, I think we've talked about it with, with pretty much all of the patients that come through the door that we would see. Uh, you know, if you look at, for example, people over the age of 35, it's probably more common to have some level of disc wear and tear, for example, on an MRI than not. But that doesn't mean that you're automatically going to get pain, uh, be it back or in the neck. So we have to try and put a, a very detailed picture together, particularly with somebody who's got some long-term pain-related issues. Um, for example, most of the patients that we would see would typically have a pain history of at least six months. So I think all of us can imagine that that's a a pretty chronic condition and something that's really affecting people's quality of life. Mm. So getting right down to the the nitty gritty and trying to figure out exactly where the source of the pain is coming from and then what can be done on the first level with the consultants looking at the potential for some medication to try and help, uh, say, for example, reduce inflammatory processes, which are very common 
particularly wear and tear related issues. Or then the next step beyond that would be the possibility of doing some injections or pain management procedures to target specific pathology. Generally speaking, that would be identified on MRI. And I suppose what the physiotherapy side of things does, I suppose the evidence is very, very clear when we're dealing with pain management and on long-term pain conditions that exercise and rehabilitation is, is really the pillar upon which success tends to be built. So getting people moving, improving their strength, improving their mobility, range of movement, all those kinds of things are really fundamental towards being able to get them back to themselves, be it you know playing golf or lifting the grandkids or back to sport or activity. Um, that really is, is, is central to the whole thing. And I suppose what the Rapid Access Clinic allows is for us to get people in and get appointments within a very short period of time uh, and getting in touch with the, the likes of the specialist consultants, such as Dr. Daz, who's leading the service in, in Charter Medical Private Hospital. Um, getting in to see somebody like him for a really accurate picture of what's going on and what needs to be done. Okay, that was a really sort of suitably holistic uh, answer in terms of um, what's going on in the clinic and who's it for and and how it works. I, I'm curious uh, about the point we I started off on is that, um, as you mentioned, a lot of the treatments and the recovery pathway is about getting people to a place where they can go get back to doing what it is they want to do, being it being active or something more simple like being able to lift the grandkids, as you say. Uh, do you find in your line of work uh, you get a lot of people presenting uh, with complaints, as I said earlier, um, kind of after they've started back on the journey to um, redeveloping their physicality, you know, the first few training sessions have instantly produced flare-ups of particular issues that they maybe hadn't been expecting. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because, again, pain in itself is a really interesting phenomenon and pain in itself does cause, for example, protective guarding uh, and can lead to muscle wastage. So, you know, it's this, it's this vicious snowball of, of inactivity and what we call fear avoidance behavior. So something hurts, so you don't do it. And, and all of those things tend to cascade into a situation where people are sore, therefore they don't move, therefore their overall level of function deteriorates. And that's, I suppose, where a lot of people end up by the time we get to see them. So it's, it's basically trying to reverse that cycle, you know, that you're trying to get people moving properly. First of all, there's, there's biomechanical reasons for why they can't move properly, perhaps maybe something with their underlying anatomy. There's physiological reasons that so the muscles have weakened or they're not, they're deconditioned. And when you have pushed them on that pathway towards getting moving properly again, you're, you're completely right. You get flare-ups. But I guess part of, the, again, that complex pain mechanism, that it's more complicated than just something being sore, it's got to do with how pain is modulated or how for example, it's treated in the brain. So, for example, somebody who's been in a long-term pain cycle, um, everything is perceived as pain. So fatigue is perceived as pain. Or, um, you know, lactic acid in the muscle, for example, is perceived as pain. Everything is is um, is perceived as pain. And that, that that's something that, that takes a period of time to, to, to break through. And that's completely normal. If you think about somebody, let's just say, who was a, I don't know, a, a runner, and for one reason or other, you don't run for six or eight weeks and you go out to do your run session. You wake up the following morning, you feel like someone's beating you on both <laughs> legs. That is part of the normal deconditioning that happens to, to, to all of us when we maybe take a little bit less exercise sure. than we should. And flare-ups are completely normal. And, and the path of pain is not a, a straightforward one without hiccups along the way. Um, it, it does take time to, to build up the resilience and the endurance and all of those things. 
And uh, this is about changing the overall average level of pain that people have, which allows them to return to function and to, to get back doing the things that they want to do. Um, unfortunately, where we are with the majority of musculoskeletal problems, there's no such thing as a cure for, for the majority of the pain conditions that we see. Yeah. You know, even really accurate and complex surgery for the lower back or neck, um, on average, you're, you're just trying to improve the overall level of, uh, of, of pain that somebody has and, and their overall level of function to the point where they're, it's not interfering with their day-to-day lives. It doesn't mean that they're going to be completely free of it. But, but for certain, if we can't keep people moving, if we can't make people stronger and improve their stability, or for example, in the core, core muscles, if we're talking about a lower back problem, if we can't get those things going and get people exercising, um, it's inevitable that they're not going to do well. That's always the big challenge that we face. Okay, that's interesting. That's kind of like a, a key to it, it from, from the sounds of what you're saying. Um, I mentioned, yeah, like people get flare-ups and then they might be concerned, but there's a certain pathway that would lead you to the racket, rapid access clinic as well. And um, a kind of a consultant's vote uh, to send you there would be at the first port of call, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think, I suppose, particularly with COVID, um, what's happened across both the public and the private private sectors within healthcare is certainly access to consultants or access to imaging or access to, to, to the services that we would all like um, tend, have, have definitely become a lot more challenging. A lot, a lot, things are generally speaking a lot slower. Yeah. So one of the main pillars of this rapid access clinic is trying to get access quickly for patients. So uh, in general, what we're suggesting is that the patients will go to their general practitioner uh, and the GP would refer a patient into the rapid access clinic. Um, really the, the whole idea is to try and keep the GPs in the loop because inevitably if you're going to see a pain management consultant there's the possibility that there may be some modifications to medications that you've been on or there may be a pain management injection or a pain management procedure and it's really important that the GPs are aware of those types of uh, changes to, to interventions or to medications as well as that uh, us having a link in with the GPs from the clinical rehabilitation perspective is important because again it gives for example GPs an, uh, an idea of for example when a patient may be able to return to work if they happen to be out of work or if they're signed out of work by the GP so that, that level of communication and, and that multidisciplinary team involvement including the GP is really fundamental to make a service like this work yeah yeah, that uh, that makes perfect sense. Um, a final question, if you will, Liam. It just occurs to me, listening to how you're forensically going through all the things that could be leading to uh, chronic pain or a particular issue, is that it's almost a bit like detective work, where you have to have a lot of information on the side of uh, an expert like as a, a like yourself, a lead physiotherapist with this clinic. Um, there must be great job satisfaction in bringing your clients or patients uh, to a better place in their life, which is ultimately kind of the goal on a on a case by case basis. Yeah, there's no doubt that that in terms of what we do, of course, it's always very unfortunate if somebody has a sports injury, which means that they can't, you know, partake in the sport that they're involved in. But certainly looking and dealing at people who are out of work or having really significant quality of life issues, that's that's a different level for sure. And uh, being able to try and and get people, uh, find people a route out of that. I mean, that is that is fantastic that's a really really uh, amazing part of the, the job and the type of work that we do and um, like I said it's it's um, it's amazing as well being originally from the Midlands and and, uh, and now uh, working in charter medical private hospital it's, it's fantastic to see a service like that's been delivered right right on our doorstep 
Uh, otherwise, people were going to have to try and go to Dublin for this type of this type of service to be available. And uh, right from the very get-go, whether it's patients needing an MRI and quick access to get an MRI or quick access to get to see a consultant, there are real fundamental points that allow us to make, I suppose, make that journey of the patient getting better and improving and getting back to the quality of life that they want to get back to, making that happen quickly or at least um, a lot quicker than it would without this type of service around, uh, around the Midlands, which is great. Yeah, that's right. The Rapid Access uh, Clinic, a pain management and uh, physiotherapy uh, consultant-led pain clinic uh, coming to the uh, Charter Medical uh, Private Hospital campus in Ballanderry, Mullingar. Liam uh, Heaven is the lead physiotherapist uh, in that clinic. And Liam, I thank you for talking to us on Health and Fitness this evening. Thanks very much. Next on the show, we've got some good news coming out of Mullingar. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood in association with the Hearing Consultancy. Carrying out free hearing tests in Clara, Tullamore, Kinnegad and in our latest clinic at Mullingar Dental Clinic, Martins Lane, Mullingar, thehearingconsultancy.ie. Okay, humour me for a moment. I want you to close your eyes and think of 2008. Barack Obama elected president to be John McCain. Uh, We had the Beijing Olympics. A lot has changed since then, hasn't it? There's one thing that hasn't changed for the people of Mullingar and that's the ongoing saga of the regional sports centre in the town. It's essentially been in the pipeline for 15 years. The new facility will bring with it a swimming pool which is particularly important as the current one does not meet the needs of the community. And how important is it to have something like this in your town? We think it's pretty crucial from a welfare perspective. Westmeath councillors and Midlands TDs have, in fairness to them, been working very hard to bring this project to a conclusion, but progress has been painfully slow. This week, however, has brought some tangible progress. I spoke to Longford Westmeath TD Robert Troy about the latest development on the Regional Sports Centre from Mullingar. Well, Westmeath County Council have confirmed today that they have put up in place a tender for the architect-led and integrated design uh, team for the Mullingar Regional Sports Centre uh, and that has been uploaded on eTender uh, this evening and will become live over the weekend. So they are now looking to appoint a design team which will design the Regional Sports Centre uh, and then submit for planning and that is open until the 17th of August. So sometime after the 17th of August we will see um, the tenders uh, and a design team will be appointed. So this is a really, really significant step in the provision of uh, Regional Sports Centre for Mullingar. I'd like to take the opportunity uh, to acknowledge the really good work of the Swimming Pool Action uh, Group that was established uh, eight or nine months ago, um, and they have been driving this uh, very forcefully in that time. And there has been significant uh, engagement with the key stakeholders um, political representatives, uh, the Swim Pool Action Committee, Westmead County Council uh, and uh, Swim Ireland. Uh, and through that collaboration, we're now at a stage today, as I said, uh, that the tenders are going up an e-tender uh, and that uh, a design team will be appointed with the view to designing and submitting for planning uh, for a new regional sports centre for Mullingar. With this going to tender then, um, that means that in terms of the backing for the project, um, it's in a good place and funding going forward for, for beyond the tender has been secured? 
Well, look, what has been secured to date over the last number of years, every year Westmead County Council, the elected members, have been ring-fencing uh, a certain amount of paid parking funding uh, for the provision of a sports centre. Uh, somewhere in the region of €3 million Euro has already been uh, set aside. Uh, we're going to use part of that money now uh, for the design team and for the planning process. Uh, to enable us be ready when the next round of large-scale sports capital uh, funding is opened, that we will have a project uh, with a design and hopefully planning permission in place so we can avail of the next round of uh, large-scale sports capital programme. Okay, very good. And uh, as a representative of the people of the Midlands, of uh, your constituency of Longford uh, and Westmeath, Robert, um, I just ask for you, maybe if you could express your perspective on why a facility like this is important in the community. It's terribly important. It's a critical piece of infrastructure in terms of uh, people's health and well-being. Uh, we have a, a swimming pool in Mullingar, uh, but it, it's dated. Uh, it's not it has capacity issues uh, and we need a new purpose-built uh, facility now uh, for the benefit of the people of Mullingar and the wider areas. And we talk about people's health and well-being and critical to that is to have the right infrastructure in place. And this is a critical piece of infrastructure that's missing in Mullingar. But we're making a significant step uh, here today in uh, seeking to appoint a design team uh, and we will progress on this at speed from here on. Yeah, capital infrastructure is never the work of a day and um, obviously with it going to tender it's an important step but of course it's still a long journey. Robert Troy, very much appreciate you talking to us today with this news. Thank you very much, David. Health and Fitness with David Hollywood with the Hearing Consultancy. Book a free hearing test at one of our clinics in Clara, Kinnegad, Mullingar or Tullamore and get impartial advice on hearing aids, ear protection, tinnitus help and more. Coming soon to Eden Dairy. TheHearingConsultancy.ie Midlands 103